Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Demartini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Wow. Wow, everybody. Welcome. I want to welcome you to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. And, you know, here's what I love about that intro. First of all, uh, for many of you that have been listening to the Dr. Pat Show for, I don't know, since 2003, you know that if you listen to my daytime show, you'll hear a completely different intro. Um, This intro has music that was uh, created by a local artist. So I love to feature some of the folks that contribute to taking this message out worldwide. I have to tell you, I, 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 you know, I get excited about the doing my radio show. I get excited about connecting with all of you, but I get excited about having conversations with, uh, with people like uh, my esteemed guest for tonight, Dr. Gary Schwartz. Now, here's what I want to say. I'm going to read you a whole lot of information about who Dr. Schwartz is because they always give you this incredible bio. But I'm also going to tell you a couple of other things that I've picked up in reading his book, The Sacred Promise, How Science is Discovering Spirit's Collaboration with Us in Our Daily Lives. You bet. Dr. Gary Schwartz is a professor of, get get ready for this, psychology, medicine, neurology, psychiatry, and surgery at the University of Arizona and director of its Laboratory for Advances in Consciousness and Health. Who knew? Anything even existed like that. You know, he's also corporate director of the development of energy healing. So now that's just a snippet, but let me just go on for a minute. He received his PhD from Harvard in 1971, assistant professor at Harvard, professor of psychology and psychology at Yale University, and I can go on. But here are the things I want to talk to you about. He has published more than 450 scientific papers, including six papers in the journal Science, co-edited 11 Academy books. But listen to this. He is the author of The Energy Healing Experiments, The Afterlife Experiments, The G.O.D. Experiments, The Truth About Medium, and and, and The Living Energy Universe. And I could go on, but here's the thing. This is his new book, The Sacred Promise, How Science is Discovering Spirit's Collaboration with Us in Our Daily Lives. And I'll tell you why I'm so excited about this book and about his work. You know, many of you are starting to to hear me share my story of healing, my healing since 2004. And you're starting to hear bits and pieces of what that journey was like for me. I'm actually going to do an entire show and share with you what that journey was like. But I read this book today and uh, this week, getting ready for the show today. And when I see language like a spirit-assisted healing or I look at the definition or what the sacred promise uh, uh, presents itself to be or the urgent message of this, and then I'm joined by people around the world who look at the promise of spirit's willful intent, and you're going to hear what that's about. What I want to say is Dr. Gary Schwartz is someone that has been so far ahead of the curve about this conversation that I'm so glad he patiently waited for a lot of us to catch up. So tonight, fasten your seatbelt, because we're going to talk about scientific study and the evidence of spirit. We're going to talk about spirit-assisted healing, and we're going to talk about an increasing connection with spirit and perhaps what happens if you don't. Dr. Dr. Schwartz, welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Pat, this is a thrill for me to be here. Let me tell you something. I've done many radio shows and, and television and so on, 
about this book and others, but no one has ever expressed the essence of this work more clearly um, and more uh, effectively and inspirationally than you. Seriously, I mean, your listeners, hopefully they're not spoiled by that kind of appreciation and vision. Well, thank you so much. And I have to tell you, Dr. Schwartz, we have the best listeners on the planet. You know, they have come a long way with the show. And in a sense, they're pioneers like you are because, you know, what they have done is something that you've done. I want to ask you about this in a minute. What they have said is, you know what, there's a new type of talk radio that we want, and we demand to have it. And so this level of conversation at stations like BBS Radio and some of the other stations I'm on, you know, these people have said, we're going to provide this with you. But we've all come up with some challenges when we say yes to this. And i got to ask you, on your journey, Dr. Schwartz, what are some of the challenges? What are some of the obstacles that you have had to overcome, I can only imagine, to bring you to this very moment, this conversation, this book, and your life right now? Wow, what a question. Okay, well, the, I guess the brief answer is there's two kinds of challenges. There are the personal challenges and the professional challenges. Mm-hmm. Now, the personal challenge is that I didn't start off as a believer. I didn't start off as someone who was raised to be open to these ideas or had any idea that any of this might be true. I mean, my parents, uh, I was raised with my parents to just assume it was uh, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, case closed. And my scientific training, um, you know, dismissed all of this as myth or folklore or or just a delusion on the part of a significant portion of humanity. And as I've been on this journey, as I've done both laboratory research and research that literally has taken place in the laboratory of our of my personal life, and I think all of us are ultimately self-scientists in this arena, because some of these things we can only know through our own personal experience, um, I've, been, I've had to come face-to-face with things that I just keep keep saying, it can't be true, it's unbelievable, and yet it's really happening. So part of the challenge has been sort of uh, speak almost uh, coming to be able to give up my old uh, beliefs that I were, that were so ingrained and to be able to em- embrace a, a greater and much more, I think, exciting and vibrant vision of of nature, human nature, and the universe. So that's one level, the personal level. The second level, of course, is professional, because I'm a, I'm a mainstream scientist, at least I yeah. was mainstream, yeah. um, and uh, you know, I'm one of the few scientists in the world whose, whose primary position is within a university. Um, and in and, and the university setting, um, the majority of academics um, are not just disbelieving of this these possibilities, but many of them are, are outright hostile to it. So you, you're dealing with individuals who are, in many ways, closed to the possibility that this is true. And so consequently, and you know, I'm, I'm continually reminded of what happened during the time of, of Copernicus and Galileo, you know, when, the, when eventually the telescope was invented and, and they were able to see that the, that the the Earth, in fact, was not the center of the universe, and the sun was not revolving around the Earth. And not only did the priests not want to look through the telescope, but many scientists didn't want to look through it either. And so I appreciate skepticism, and I appreciate the the fears of both the, if you would, us lay people and also academic uh, scientists. And yet, if we're going to move forward, we have to follow the data and um, and I think celebrate it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Don't you think the skeptics give us the the next opportunity to discover the the what I should say maybe the next level of awakening? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, the head of my department at the school that I graduated, at my, you know, that I got my doctoral work out, saw a picture of me with my hands uh, uh, opened down by my side, and I had two things in my hand. He thought they were crystals and pretty much put me on a blacklist. Well, actually, they weren't crystals, but so what if they were? So, you know, we go up against, you know, this idea of what people expect of us. But... Mm-hmm. Haven't the skeptics provided you with perhaps that next 
lack of idea that caused you to investigate something almost to the point to prove them wrong? Well, you know, it's interesting. Initially, I thought that the, and I'll speak of the professional skeptics as opposed to the honest skeptics. <laughs> I mean, there are, there are, the genuine skeptic, the true skeptic is what, what I am, for example, and, and by that what I mean is questioner. Yes. And the person who asked genuine questions, like when I began on this journey, the question was, for example, were any mediums real? I mean, right. were they all frauds? Were they all cold readers? Were they, was this all um, just a, a, quote, sitters, people wanting to hear from the deceased loved ones fooling themselves? I mean, so the notion that, that, the, that the, the, the initial questions you want to ask is you want to rule out all of that so you can start ruling in, well, maybe something anomalous is occurring. Maybe they're really getting accurate information. Maybe it, it really does sound like it's coming from intentional, willful beings, so on and so forth. And so that kind of questioning is, is wonderful, and I always seek it. But then there are the, the, if you would, the professional skeptics, the people who get paid for debunking, and where their entire career is essentially trying to make a fool and, uh, of people who, who even are open to these ideas and also to, uh, to dismiss them. And there are people like, uh, for example, the, the so-called amazing Randy, you know, who's sort of the prototype of, of such a person. And these people are, unfortunately, as I've come to discover over the years, are anything, have very little integrity, let's just put it that way. And, the, um, and consequently, the, the, there the, it's less of a challenge to... to dis- I'm a truth seeker, so in, in, it's, not, it's, it's not just discovering the truth, but also there's the politics and the sociology of standing up for the truth. Um, and in some respects, that it, it, it does inspire one to, to, uh, to cross every T and dot every I so that the research is as, uh, as clear and pure as it can be. And for that, I appreciate it. Exactly. I mean, this is really so exciting to be able to see that you've been able to take a platform and yourself uh, a skeptic, as I, as trust me, as I, as mm-hmm. I've been for a large sure. part of my life. Um, but what is what is it they say? The proof is in the pudding, so to speak. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. What matters is what does the data reveal? You know, we 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 have a model. Let the data speak. And we all, also one of the early models in the lab when it was first formulating was if it's real, it will be revealed, and if it's fake, we'll find the mistake. So just follow the data and let it, let it lead you. Well, and, you know, this has really been, uh, you know, for you, an incredible journey. And I think, I think I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, struck by, uh, I, I, I guess, an Einstein quote, and I think I'd like to kind of, you know, start there. Um, if you don't mind, and and I think it's one that uh, that that I love, and and don't know that I quite understand. But I mean, you know, the quote: "You cannot solve a problem from the same consciousness that created it. You must learn to see see the world anew." Some people say you can't solve a problem at the human level, but what they don't do is they don't kind of finish the sentence and say, "Well, you have to solve it at the spiritual level," because that's <laughs> almost like te- I mean, it's like right. So why do you think we are so hesitant? You know, to fill in the blank and say, you know what, we have an invisible partner, maybe sometimes not so invisible. What's holding us up from that, Dr. Schwartz? Well, that's a, first of all, it's a really great question. First of all, I come to this from a background in physics and electrical engineering. So for me, um, I approach this from the point of view that literally 99.9999999% literally of all the vibrations of photons in the universe, for example, is invisible to our, our naked senses. I mean, what we see as light, visible light, with all the spectacular millions of colors and so on, is just this tiny little sliver of all the vibrations are there. To put it bluntly, most of everything that exists is invisible to us, that we know that exists. And then secondly, the, you know, within the past 10 to 20 years, the physicists and astrophysicists have had to posit the existence of what they call dark matter and dark energy, in order to explain the data, the continued observations, for example, of an expanding universe. And, um, and, the, and these things can't even be measured by anything that we know of. So 94% of the, of the, of the hypothesized universe uh, can't even be detected by any known technology. 
So once you start with the idea that most things are, quote, invisible, and by the way, it's those invisible, for example, radio waves that allow us to speak. Where are you located right now? I'm in Seattle. That's what I thought. So you're in Seattle. I'm in Tucson. And, um, and you know, we're communicating via via invisible waves of and fields of, uh, of of energy, which, by the way, the truth is physicists don't know don't know what they are. They know how to they know how to work with them, but they really can't explain them. So I start with the, with the, an idea of a, an appreciation and, and a friendliness for the invisible. Now, having said that, so why would why would we not be open to seeking the invisible uh, in terms of a, of, a, of of intelligence and of of love and caring and and higher or different forms of of, uh, of intelligence and wisdom? And I think part of the reason is because scientists as well as laymen, we're, you know, we're afraid of the dark, we're afraid of the unknown, and we're also typically afraid of those things that we can't control. And I think that part of that fear is justified, which is the, you know, the, the risk or the downside to, to opening up to a greater spiritual reality, which I do talk about a bit at the end of the book. So part of this fear of, 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 of opening up um, is um, it's partly understandable, but it's also uh, like a child who's afraid of the dark. Mm. You know, we, mm. we, as a species, are really still coming out of our infancy when it comes to appreciating the, this greater spiritual reality. I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, I think the only reason that I, that I, I feel so alive is because of my own personal healing journey. And, uh, I, I don't know. I, I hope everyone listening to the show doesn't have to get to the place that I got to where, you know, I felt like I was at the bottom of my life and the only way was to look up. Now I look up all the time. Mm. Uh, and, and I hope that, you know, through the work that you've done, definitely by folks reading this book, and I want to tell you my very special guest here is Dr. Gary Schwartz, uh, The Sacred Promise. I want to give everyone an opportunity to chime in. You can do this in a couple of ways. You can give us a shout into the station, which is really easy to do, and that's 888-815-9756. Give us a call if you've got a question. 888-815-9756. And if you call in, we actually have a copy of the book for the first five callers. Uh, the other way to do it is send us an instant feedback message on the Dr. Pat Show website or Transformation Talk Radio. So go to drpatlive.com. And those of you that know how to do this, on the right-hand side, there is a way for you to get your question up there. Dr. Schwartz, I took some liberties, and I would love for you to tell me where I went off base. I took the meaning of the sacred promise, which I'm going to ask you about, and I'm a really visual person. And so I don't know why I did this, but I took myself a PowerPoint slide, and on the slide I I drew three circles and in, in Venn diagram form, right? Mm-hmm. And and I threw, drew these circles, and for whatever reason, I put level one, level two, level three, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, in each one of them. But then I thought to myself, I don't know. Is that right? Because, you see, the place that I wanted to go was that sweet spot where these all connect. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you about them. You know, I did that very intuitively, but I'm not sure that it makes sense. Would you... Would you walk us through the meaning of the sacred promise? As long as you'll promise to share with us your Venn diagram, because this is a profound synchronicity. I would love to share that with you. Because <laughs> I, I'm sitting here smiling, hearing level one, level two, level three. You know, is this really the right model, the sweet spot, the intersection, you know, and so on and so okay. forth, because I've been having similar thoughts over the past few days. Which oh, is good. very amusing. <laughs> it's, it's adorable. Totally. I totally agree. Okay. When I, when I, when the, when the, when the term sacred promise came to me, it was not, quote, my idea. This idea, quote, popped into my head, asking the universe for assistance and clarity about all of this. Um, and the, I realized that there were three meanings to the word sacred promise. The least um, controversial is the idea that, that science can actually take us to spirit and the idea of spirit, that, that instead of science not being able to approach these questions, not only can science give us an answer one way or the other, but when you 
read this book. It's very hard to walk away with this and not and not feel the excitement and the I call it the uh, evidence-based hope that this promise is going to be answered in a in a very striking affirmative. That science is not only taking us to spirit, but it's even revealing new things about a greater spiritual reality that we weren't aware of before. So that's one level of the promise. The second level of the sacred promise is the is the the realization that came to me fairly early on in this work, particularly the level of work I describe in this book. I can't do this work without quote them, um, you know, individuals on the quote the other side, uh, some of whom I call post now, now refer to them as post physical people <laughs> because they're not deceased; they're just no longer in a, in a physical form. But what's really critical. Is, as, as I put it, if I'm going to show up at the laboratory, they have to show up. If, if they're not going to have as much responsibility and as much integrity as we scientists are trying to do, um, mm. then you can't do this work. You, you can't do research in the, in, the, in the regular physical world unless the human subjects show up, unless they're motivated to do that the best that they can, to provide honest information, so on and so forth. And what, what you see when you read this book, of course, is that there are certain beings who have, who have clearly made uh, or, or at least as much responsibility and caring about the work as, as you and I. But mm-hmm. the third level is the most profound. And that's the notion, and the reason why I ultimately decided to publish the book is because I was led to the conclusion by multiple sources of information that they're not here just to quote, prove that there's a greater spiritual reality, but they're really... They're really here to help us, to help us in both our individual and collective lives. And I came to realize that, you know, we are at a precipice at this point in, in human evolution, and we have, to, we have to grow up and solve some very major problems. And what I began to realize is that I, speaking for myself, and I think many people, not the, probably the listeners on your show, but, but mainstream America, we live as if we live in a spiritless universe. And we assume that the problems are, quote, ours, and we must solve them by ourselves. But what if instead we live in a spirit-full universe? And that part of the reason we have these problems is because we haven't recognized this greater spiritual reality and learned to collaborate with it. And that it's going to require a team effort between here and, quote, there in order to, um, to come to these insights, seek this knowledge, obtain this guidance, and so on. And of course, the, this book is not called the Sacred Proof. It's called the Sacred Promise, precisely because it's we're on a journey. Um, anyway, that's how I meant that term. I love it. I, I love it. I, there's a quote that I, I, I found in one of the books that helped me, uh, as you would say, one of the books that, that I used on my own journey and the potentiality of, of spirit to help all of us participate right. in our everyday lives. And, and, the, and the quote is this. It's, a, it's this, and I'd love for you to comment on it. It's, a, it's this. If the spirit has seen fit to express itself through a physical universe and to give you a physical body, it would be absurd to think of this body or environment as an illusion unworthy of your attention. That's and I thought, isn't that uh, Ernest Holmes? And hmm. I thought, uh, oh my gosh, okay, I've got to talk to you about this because that statement really gets to some of the things you talk about in the book. One of the things we do is we completely ignore this, don't we? I mean, we yes. go through our everyday lives. Well, at least many of us do. I mean, Ma- many of learned, us do. Right. As just like you, I've had, you know, issues related to health, for example, where it was discoveries in the process of my own healing that led me to, to wake up where I would embrace this as merely hypothesize its existence through, you know, experimental data. Mm-hmm. And as you said, the proof is in the pudding and it must apply in our personal lives. It must be, it must be absolutely, um, uh, real it's got to, it's, it has to make a difference but you know this notion that the the invention of the physical world and the creation of the physical world by spirit by the source i have to change phones here okay well i think here? you know part yeah. of this what we're talking about is you know we're talking about you know sort of the manner of evidence that shows up uh, mm-hmm. for the existence of spirit in our own personal lives 
our own yes. personal situations, whatever one wants to, to talk to. Sometimes, Dr. Schwartz, and this is really, I think, where you're going with this, um, but, but help me along here. Sometimes it's not as obvious because rather than have it be a, a straight line, like, okay, from A to B, uh, your body healed. Sometimes it turns out to be this beautiful collage of points being connected that you wouldn't necessarily think about in the moment, like how the heck is this ever going to get me anything right here? But ultimately when you get there and you look back, it makes perfect sense. Absolutely. And one of the things that's always been a challenge to me is why all the mystery? You know, why can't it be? Why can't it be more straightforward and obvious? Why is it more like a breadcrumb universe where we're we're following the crumbs, if you would, or the the clues, and we have to be Sherlock Holmes in our own lives? And the conclusion that I've come to is that this is done intentionally and for a higher purpose, for a very wise purpose, because the goal is not the goal is for us to learn and grow. It's not just to be healthy and happy. And the only way that we're going to develop our own capability for both a discovery, understanding, and appreciation is to, um, is to be given just enough to assist us, but a requirement that we be part of the co-creation process, the co-discovery I, process. Do you, do you feel it. the same way? I love it. There's no question about it. I mean, you know, I, I think if you, you know, if you want to get all biblical, you know, where two or more are gathered. And what I mean by that is that I think if we were meant to be individuals without any interaction, we would have been given our own planets. And each of us would have been, you know, you know, it would be the, you know, the Gary Schwartz planet over here and the, you know, Pat planet over here. Right. Uh, but, but there's something about the inter-exchange of who we are and the energy of that and our life circumstances and the process of discovery that I think is, is so profound in where we are right now. And this is what I wanted to, to ask you about. Um, I saw an interesting movie last weekend, and gosh, now I'm going to try to, now I forget. Oh, well, Limitless was the movie. It was about this guy that takes this pill, and all of a sudden, he has full access to every, his entire brain. And he goes through the world and knows. But there's a piece of the, this movie that they don't talk about, and that is the points in time where where this man seems like he's acting not like a man, but like a a superman and one driven by something that cannot be pointed to the evidence and so we go to a movie like this and we think okay this is great great movie acting's really good so forth and so on but then we leave the movie and we think that can't be us we can't have those quantum leaps and i wanted you to share some of your research some of the scientific evidence that you found um, uh, where you've been able to demonstrate uh, not only that spirit exists, but it exists in our everyday life, almost waiting for us to take advantage of its gift. Well, what a great question. And, you know, the notion that, that we can't make uh, quantum jumps in, a, in appreciation is actually really inconsistent with the history of humanity and the totally. history of science, for example. Right. Right, because um, uh, for me, probably the the strongest evidence. We'll talk about we'll talk about proof in the laboratory, and then we'll talk about proof proof in our personal lives. Okay. Okay. Let's yeah. put proof in the laboratory first. Mm -hmm. For me, the most extraordinary, and this is a quantum jump, was the the real the actually testing the hypothesis. Every medium I've ever talked to, and I've worked with what I call the Michael Jordans of the mediumship world, really gifted people. In fact, John Edward who many people know, and a very distinguished medium, wrote the foreword to this book. Mm -hmm. yep. And um, the, uh, uh, they all say that what they're doing is connecting with the energy of the person. And this energy, um, and energy, by the way, is, is a, is a, is a non-physical, it's defined as the capacity to do work and overcome resistance. That's what it literally means in physics. And this energy, one of the forms that this energy is in, is in the form of light. But it's, it's light that's typically dim to most of us. The metaphor, sidebar for a second. You know, when we look up at the sky at night, if we're in the country and there's no clouds and it's not a full moon, we can see hundreds or thousands of stars at night, right? But during the day when we look out at the sky, it's blue. 
and there are no there are no stars. And the question is, what happened to the stars? Did they just disappear, or are we being blinded by the closest star, which we you know we call the sun? So the sound bite, the take home message is: sometimes we have to go into the dark in order to see the light. So now I, we have these people, these from the other side who are actively collaborating with all this mediumship research and all this research on my personal life, which I chronicle in significant detail in the book. Now the question is, if they really have light, if they really have energy, why can't we, quote, see them? Maybe we need to, what we need to do is to create a dark space for them to be able to be seen. And then as fate would have it, I um, discovered there was a company in Ireland uh, which... Uh, which created what's called a silicon photomultiplier system. In plain English, what this equipment does is it detects single photons of light in pitch black. And now the question was, what would happen if we invited spirit into a triple box within a box within a box? So it's totally dark. And so therefore, if they were to enter the chamber at specific times, would we be able to detect an increased presence of light? And if so, could that eventually turn into, um, as I put it from the from the cell phone through the smartphone to what I call the soul phone. Well, anyway, we've done this research. Um, the first paper was published uh, the la- last year in the May-June uh, issue of the Journal Explore. And I, uh, another paper just came out in the latest issue this year, 2011, the, the March-April issue of Explore, showing that you can get these effects even when no human being is present, where it's completely computer-automated. And only spirit shows up, and so nobody else is there when, when it's going on. And what I realized was is it, it reminded me of what I call a Wright Brothers moment. You know, but, you know, a little over 100 years ago, there were no airplanes. We didn't know if we could fly. No. And in 1903, December, five people at Kitty Hawk saw the Wright Brothers plane, and the first flight lasted all of 12 seconds. And at that moment... Those few people knew that flight was possible. Now, it took a few generations to get to the point where we have now, where we have planes taking off and landing literally every second, flying 24-7, 365 days a year. 731 million people flew airplanes over the past year. And you know what? We all take it for granted. But then we couldn't have imagined all of that. And yet the quantum jump took place at Kitty Hawk. And I think we're experiencing another Wright Brothers moment now. I think with this new research that I'm doing and a few other people around the world are doing, using the state of our technology, which was not designed to detect spirit, it was designed for other purposes. But now we can capitalize on that and, and find a new use for this exquisitely sensitive technology. And all of a sudden, spirit's having a, uh, a viable means to express itself in the, in, in the physical world and you know, just like we now take, uh, you know, our smartphones for granted. Um, someday, I think we're going to take a soul phone for granted too. Exactly. Well, you know, it's so interesting that um, this film came out, and of course, you take a pill, and all of a sudden, you know, the bottom line is you see an acceleration. Mm-hmm. And and some people would say that go to, that, that went to see this film. Oh, it's another pop film. I went to see it, and I thought, oh my gosh, aren't we all being pulled? at light speed, yeah. faster than we've ever imagined, mm-hmm. have an intuitive sense of where to go with it if you're right. plugged in. Uh, and if you're not plugged in, you feel completely lost. And this is what I hear from listeners and friends. And I mean, I, I mean, let's talk about getting plugged in for a minute if we could. Sure. Because that's a big generalization. I don't like to make those generalizations. Mm-hmm. But we're hearing so many different things. We're hearing on the one hand, oh my gosh, look at what's happening in Japan. On the other hand, I have five emails that I got all uh, today about prayer circles and the power of those. It's almost as if energies seem to be mashed, uh, being matched or harmonizing. I don't know. How would you explain it, Dr. Schwartz? Well, I think you're right. I think that this is a, first of all, more people are open to this opportunity than at any time in human history. It's not just because we have more people on the planet, but because of the World Wide Web, because of communication, television, and so on. And with and with the popularization of things like Medium and Ghost Whispers and X-Files and, and on and on and on, what's happening is, as you know, science fiction is, is always occurs before science fact. 
Um, and what's happening is I think people are envisioning these possibilities, and they also have an incentive to do so because our current models just aren't working. So more and more people are being open to these possibilities, and there's also more people on the other side who are you know, equally motivated to remain connected with their loved ones and to also make a difference in the world. And so you, you put all this together, and you know, the, the whole becomes greater than the sum of its parts. And I, I, I really do uh, sense, uh, like so many people are sensing, it's not unique to me, um, we're all, those of us who are awakening, we're, we're all seeing these possibilities. I think what's a little bit unique about the, 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 the piece that I bring to the table is the, is the scientific validation and further ex, exploration of showing how these possibilities occur. Because right now, you know, science is mostly afraid of this. And, and somebody, has, somebody has to do it, and I seem to be, you know, on that path. Exactly, and this is what I love about this, because you seem to be, to me, naturally on the path, as if there would not be, Dr. Schwartz, any other path for you, so to speak. Well, you know, it's really interesting that you say that. And I, and I, the, I confessed in a book that I wrote called The G.O.D. Experiments, where G.O.D. stands for Guiding, Organizing, Designing Process. And the subtitle was How Science is Discovering God and Everything, Including Us. I shared my own personal journey, how when I started becoming open to the idea that, that, you know, that, that there was too much order in the universe, that the order couldn't have occurred by chance, that it required some sort of a, uh, a super universal intelligence, and that we were all part of that intelligence. Once I went through all that journey as a scientist, I then went on the personal journey of saying, well, gee, uh, theoretically, since we're all part of it, um, we should all be able to uh, communicate with it, albeit you know it, in probably a limited form. And I confessed that my very first sort of synchronicity with the universe, which was when I asked the universe a question, essentially uh, explained how I had unfortunately raised to believe that God was a white man with a beard, with yeah. a cane, and went around spending bugs on people. You know, a, a very naive, you know, uh, uh, Old Testament vision of a vengeful God. And of course, I knew that that was very naive and very silly, was mm-hmm. by no means the vision that I was being led to. But I was still stuck with that word, G-O-D, because God had all that negative connotation. So I asked the universe innocently in my head. I said, universe, I said, if you're here and if you can hear me, so on and so forth, could you give me another name for God? And the name that popped into my head was Sam. And I started giggling. I said, either this is a Woody Allen movie or I have a you know, very creative unconscious but then I didn't know what moved me at the time. But I got out of bed, went to my study, pulled out my old Webster's second edition unabridged dictionary and looked up the word Samuel. It turned out Sam was short for Samuel. And Samuel, of course, I didn't realize this, and most people didn't, as I subsequently learned, comes from the Hebrew Shemuel. And Shemuel literally translated means the name for God. Now, when I had that experience, my jaw dropped to the ground. I mean, I was, you know, I was dumbstruck. And I tried to consider every possible explanation about how I could have come up with that name. Um, and the one that was turned out to be the most compelling and was the most, for me, terrifying was the idea, be, be careful for what you ask for. No. What had happened was I had been ready, and I had asked the universe from the bottom of my heart, and now I would say soul, um, a question seeking genuine information. And what happened was I received information that I could verify. And the key phrase was verify. And, of course, I was so frightened at the time, I, I didn't tell virtually anyone. I wasn't going to touch it with a 110-foot pole. And I didn't ask another question of the universe for over 10 years until I after, uh, left Yale and moved to the University of Arizona. And I have been on this journey, and I've become ever braver about you know, being willing to, quote, ask questions without judgment and receive information. And I think I've as much been led as I have sought. You it's, and I, I feel get it. more led. In fact, my writing partner, former writing partner, he he put a subheading into the book that, and that the subheading was, he said, um, we don't choose a mission; a mission chooses us. Mm. Yeah. 
Honestly, there's no question in my mind about that. I'm probably one of the least likely people to be doing what I do right now and loving it. I do close to 12 hours of live radio, and I used to stutter as a teenager. Really? Um, uh, absolutely. I, I mean, you know, I dialed the wrong phone number, and that's how I bought my first hour of airtime in 2003. I didn't hang up the phone. I was intrigued. And in 2003, Internet radio, you've got to be kidding me. But I, but I think there, there are what I call the divine yeses, and I want to talk with you about oh, I that. Love, I love that term, divine yeses. The divine yes, because you talk about this willful intent of spirit in the book, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and 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 I, and I would love for you to share this with people, because spirit comes a knocking, not so that we can put up resistance, go to fear, forget the power that we have, but but it's like. Here I am, just say yes. And that's my own personal experience. I'm not sure if that's exactly what spirit does. But I would love for you to share this idea of willful intent of spirit. Yes, you know, it's really interesting because I think that the greatest lesson, I've never called it that before, but I would Mm -hmm. have to say the greatest lesson that I've learned on this journey, and this is now the third book about life after death, but by far this is the most forward-looking. The others were, if you would, uh, training wheels. For this this book is that I came to realize that 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 spirit has at least as much will and intent as we do, and and some beings are are going to use that in very creative ways in the for the best and highest good for us both individually and collectively. And one of the ways that shows up in research, for example as well as in our personal lives, but in research in particular, it's really amusing, is where you have people, quote, drop in. Literally, they will, they will interfere with an experiment or even ruin an experiment, quote, quote, ruin, in quotes, in order to teach the scientist a bigger lesson about what's really going on. And I recount examples in the book where that's happened. Um, I mean, for me, one of the most startling ones, which is interesting because it's going to be part of what's happening next week. Next week I'm going sidebar to uh, to New York City and I'm going to be doing some joint publicity with a woman by the name of Hazel Courtney who has a new book coming out called Countdown to Coherence. Oh, She's wow. a wonderful woman and you may want to even have her on your show someday. She's a, a best-selling uh, 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 health reporter and, and writer in England and I met her uh, a number of years ago um, after she went, had a uh, what's called a spiritual emergency and then a spiritual awakening, and she almost died. And she was convinced that one of the reasons why she she was able to live was that during this state of hyper-spiritual awakening, she was receiving guidance from a woman who she knew, but had not as a, at an intimate level, but they, they had been to multiple dinners together and, and she had interviewed her, and this was Princess Diana. And the, the question was that she came to me was, would there be any way to verify whether Princess Diana had in fact come to her after Princess Diana died? And more importantly, had Princess Diana actually played this role? Could I as a scientist verify this? And much to my amazement, not only could I verify it, but in a subsequent ex- uh, uh, experiment, which I confess in some detail in the Sacred Promise book, the portion that involved... Uh, Princess Diana, who was a, a uh, uh, obviously a, a secret deceased person, and Hazel Courtney was the uh, was the secret uh, sitter. Um, it turned out, as fate would have it, that the medium that I was tested happened to have been Princess Diana's one of Princess Diana's private mediums from England. Of course, I didn't know that. Oh, um, wow. She only confessed this to me. Um, uh, uh, after we we did the first set of readings, and I was saying, "Oh my God, this is going to this experiment is going to have to fail because as soon as she starts receiving stuff from Princess Diana, she's going to recognize it, and then the double blind thing is going to be gone, and so consequently, we won't be, I won't be able to actually complete the research and so on." And then during the double blind portion of the experiment, this woman shows up, and uh, she's she's in the country, and she has sh- shortish blondish brownish hair and, and uh, she never shows her face and she indicates that she died in a car crash and it was it was very sudden and that she really cares about her children and one of her hobbies is skiing and so on and if you know if you know it's princess diana 
all those pieces fit. But the medium couldn't tell who it was, and I didn't believe it. Why can't she figure out it's Princess Diana? And I would ask her, you know, because I was about to ask questions, you know, who is this person? She says, I don't know. The person won't show me their face. They won't turn around. They won't give me those details. And then it wasn't, and I'm saying to myself, what? Is Princess Diana deliberately hiding information until the second part of the experiment when the sitter's actually on the line? And then what happens? The second part after this session, and I, and I grilled this medium. I couldn't believe that she couldn't tell who this was. And then afterwards, oh, by the way, she says, oh, and this woman is whispering to me. She, she says, I don't understand why she's whispering to me. This is the medium saying this. Well, in part two, after lunch, and then we, we called, uh, Hazel was actually in England, and the medium was actually in Connecticut, and I flew in from Tucson to, uh, to Connecticut to actually run this, conduct this research. Um, the, the, the medium says, okay, you know, hello, it's nice to meet you, and, um, and I, I want you to know that there's this, this woman here. And then she says, oh, this woman's turning around. And she says, oh, my God, it's Princess Diana. And the medium collapses hysterically. Oh, gee. Of course, at this point, Hazel Courtney is also in tears. There's now bedlam, and, of course, the single-blind portion of the experiment is ruined. But the double-blind portion wasn't. And at that point, after she's able to regain her composure, she says, now I understand why the woman was speaking softly to me. Because what would happen is when I knew Princess Diana, she would often call me. She'd be at an event or something, and she wanted a, a quick opinion. So she would call me from a phone, you know, a cellular phone, and she would whisper in the phone so nobody would know who she, who she was talking to. Mm. Now, what was so extraordinary about that particular reading, for example, was the double-blind portion was preserved because the deceased person could inhibit what she shared and what she didn't share in order to enable the research to work. And, you know, so when you witness that even the really intelligent deceased people are in control of the information that they're presenting, even in research, then it becomes all the clearer that when I recount all those, you know, wonderful stories of, you know, the, the late Susie Smith uh, showing up unannounced after she passed to a to a medium in the book I called Joan, um, who was a closet medium, and uh, telling her that her name was Susie, was Susie and that she had messages for Dr. Schwartz, um, that, that that they could, uh, what's the word, um, they could um, actively but responsibly um, assert themselves. Right. They are active the participants. They are active. Active participants is what I'm creative hearing you say. Active. Yeah. Yeah. Creative and caring active participants, at least the group that we work with. Well, and you know, this is what I love about this, because a lot of times, and especially uh, many, many books out there uh, don't really have the the platform that that you are speaking of. So, for example, you, you know, sometimes you'll pick something up and read it, read it as if, oh my gosh! Now, really, Pat, did you really actively all by yourself transpose an eight hundred number, dial into the only internet station that existed in two thousand and three, get the woman on the the phone? that to this day is your producer. Now, did you really do that all by yourself, Pat? Right. Uh, it, it, right. And so a lot of the material, when you say, up until I think recently, sort of points to spirit as not necessarily willful intent or an active participant, but a lot of what we read, especially in religious realms, is that you know the engagement with spirit is only for the chosen. You see what I'm trying to say? Not for the yes. practicality of our everyday lives. And this is really the departure. This is you, where your work stands out. Well, it's one of the reasons, but you've just uh, you've hit a, an intellectual and spiritual bullseye. Because in, the, in ancient times, it's very possible, particularly the, the, you know, the, the angel realm and so on, um, people were... Uh, we, we humans were not very sophisticated, to put it mildly, and um, probably very few of us 
were capable of being open or listening or responding to uh, to helpful and wise information. However, now more than ever, people are ready to receive, and so I think it's going to be much more, much less exclusive, and more inclusive of the collaboration between here and there, and that the the not only are the numbers greater, means you know gigantically greater in terms of population growth and so on, both here and there. But we are now growing into the capacity to be able to receive these intuitions, if not uh, you know, direct experiences. By the way, Susie Smith, who I talk about a lot in the book, yes. one of the things, one of her phrases that I really love, she says, you know, it's too coincidental to be accidental. Right. And that, of course, was your 800 number as a perfect example. And, of course, I have examples of that you know, in the book. You know, one of the things talking to you, uh, Dr. Pat, is that, um, that we haven't scratched the surface of this book, and we're, we're just beginning to get rolling. And, I know. Uh, and I, I've never done this before, but I, I would love the opportunity, because if nothing else, you owe us and the readers your, your Venn diagram with the three circles and so on, which we haven't even gotten to. Well, I'm have, going to definitely send that to you. I hope you will come back. Uh, I, would, I would love to come back. I, I know because we, I haven't even gotten to uh, you know some other questions that I <laughs> uh, that I want to speak with you about because this is what I said to you at the beginning. For those of you tuning in, I'm here with Dr. Gary Schwartz. The book is a sacred promise. I have to tell you, are listening to this show. This book is a must read, uh, and the reason I say that is because for me. The questions that I had are still there, but there was there's something that I walk away with from this, and that is, you know, all of these things that have happened over these past years with my own healing journey. You know, I read your book, and you start to feel, oh my gosh, you're really not alone. You're not crazy. This look at this guy. Look at this Dr. Gary, and look at what his life is about. Look at what he. There are millions of people out there that are so hungry for this. And I wanted to ask you this question. Is the hunger uh, about their readiness to hear this message, or are we at a place where we really do believe that we live with maybe uh, a spirit that perhaps is Virgo of sorts, More Virgo and less Sagittarius, but what I mean by that is a spirit that's ready to help us in a yes, way. I think, it, I think it's I think it's a readiness on both sides. Oh, great! I think I think it's a readiness on both sides and eagerness on both mm-hmm. sides, and that um, and that the if ever there was a pressing time for us to wake up to this, both a readiness and a pre- and a pressing need. It is now. You know, uh, what I'm hoping in, is that somehow people will find this book and that, and that some people will, will at least will find that it's, that it's validating of experience. It's also motivating. Exactly. If, when you take my journey, both personal and professional, and you see the conclusions that I was forced to come to by the data, and there, you know, and although there is the, you know, the, there, there's there's always risks involved when you when you open up to information, um, but but the, the the gains far outweigh the risks. And just like you know the invention of the airplane, for example, you have to be careful with how you use it, um, and it can be abused. But that notwithstanding, the point is that we have benefited so greatly and extraordinarily from the knowledge that we have. And if any knowledge is going to be has has been part of the back, backdrop of scientific discovery and personal discovery all along, which was, you know, intuitive reception of information. Now's the time for us uh, to take that leap. And of course, your sh- you really know this. Your listeners really know this. And I, you know, I would love to see whether the whether your listeners in particular find this kind of book, uh, you know, useful, meaningful, inspiring. And by the way, I must I must say that you know the bottom line to all of this is love. Um, yes. All of my books, by the way, have ended with love. Love is and love and caring, and and we are, we are, we have the capacity to love and care about so much as a species, and they in turn haven't lost that love. Um, my wife, uh, 
Rhonda Eklund Schwartz has a new book that's just coming out called Love Eternal, which is a book about her personal journey after her mother died mm. and how um, she came to the conclusion that her mother was still here and wanted and wanted to have a continued relationship with her, just like Susie Smith's mother passed, and Susie ended up having a continuing relationship with her. And then Rhonda met me, and then we ended up going on this journey, and because she, met, she married a scientist, I was able to help her get the kind of scientific verification for the personal things that she was experiencing in her life. And, you know, the term love eternal, the notion that, that, that love is like, the, is like the light from distant stars and continues long after the star has, quote, died. The light is eternal. The love is eternal. And that we have the capacity to have a, you know, to have a mission that goes far beyond, uh, you know, our, our relative brief time, you know, on this planet in this form. It's, it's, to me, it's mind-boggling and, uh, and just and, and, and utterly uh, exhilarating when you consider the possibilities. Well, for me, uh, you know, the notion is epic. And what I love about what you've presented, and thank you so much for uh, becoming the messenger. I mean, I think we look around and there are people that carry the torch. And we say that divine yes to carrying the torch. And I really have to thank you and acknowledge you because, you know, one of the things that I was reminded of in reading the book, again, I read the, read the book twice now. The first time I believe you were going to be on, I read it again. What I was reminded about, uh, Dr. Schwartz, was this. You're absolutely right about love. And love in such an epic way. But I was also reminded, again, that we have the infinite, unlimited potential to create the lives we desire, to heal the planet, heal ourselves, and even exceed far beyond what we can even imagine as human beings. And this is what I love about this reminder. So thank you so much for doing what you do and for taking this message. By the way, you are such a poet. You're really skilled at this. And for the record, the we is, is us plus them. The we is the collaboration between here and there. Mm-hmm. It's we can do this because they are with us, and they can't do it without us. It's really a collaboration. It is. Thank you so much. And I just want to make sure, everyone, uh, let's send everybody to your website because, first of all, people can get plugged in and um, uh, be part of everything that you have going on. You have a free membership in here and everything else. Tell folks the best way, the best Sure. Uh, sh- My personal website is drgaryschwartz.com. That's D-R-G-A-R-Y-S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z.com, and that has... The Sacred Promise, Love Eternal, and various videos and papers and articles and so on. And then that will also take you to the sacredpromiseuniverse.com, which is a, a, a website that we're creating to be able to make this avail- information um, uh, available widely. I'm in the process now of producing an 11-part uh, video series uh, about the Sacred Promise. I've, I've completed four of them, I think, so far. Um, but it's going to be an opportunity for people who... Who, who care about the sacred promise to, um, to, to, to to facilitate their finding like-minded people? Um, so it's uh, uh, I think that the, that that will be uh, the, what's the word that I'm searching for? It will it will be helpful um, in people exactly uh, continuing on the journey. Exactly, because one of the things I've learned, and thank you for saying that, is because of your work and the work of others, we do not have to take this journey alone. No, um, not at all. And thank you so much. And the website, I have to tell everybody, check it out. It's amazing. SacredPromiseUniverse.com. Dr. Schwartz, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Wow. I have to tell you all, this is we haven't even scratched the surface. That's why I've got to get Dr. Schwartz back. And thank you for agreeing to come back. I want to thank all of you for tuning us in and turning us on. You are the best listeners anywhere. And stay tuned. There's more to come. Thanks to this amazing individual, Dr. Gary Schwartz. We'll see you next time on the Dr. Pat Show.
Oh 